there, and welcome to the Prickly Things Podcast, the show where we are open and honest about everyday life in hopes to empower, motivate, and inspire you. So listen close, because we all love a good story. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Happy Thursday. Welcome back to another DACA series episode here on the Prickly Things Podcast. This is your host, Sandra Camacho, and I'm so, so happy to have you guys back on. And if you guys are joining this show for the first time, welcome. I hope that you guys stay and let me know how you guys came across uh, this episode or this podcast. I am generally very curious if you guys found us on TikTok, on Instagram, even just scrolling through like all the podcasts on uh, your favorite streaming app, please let me know. You can do so by DMing me on Instagram at the Prickly Things Podcast. Make sure that while you're there, you also uh, hit the follow button, follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and just stay on board with this show. Uh, We have a lot going on for this year. And kicking off our DACA series here with me, I have an amazing guest, someone that literally I've never met in person, but I feel like I know for some time now. This is weird because when you see people like on meetings and you see people doing stuff on social media, you kind of become familiar with them somehow, some way. Uh, but today I have the honor of talking to Melanie Buitron Lore. Hi, Melanie. How are you? Hi, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you for joining me on this DACA series episode. And uh, you're joining me all the way from Chicago. How's Chicago right now? I'm pretty sure it's freezing. No, it's so funny that you mentioned that because uh, last week it was cold, like in the negative high single digit, like high of a six with a wind chill of like two. And today it was like 35, 37 degrees outside. And I went outside and I'm like, oh, it, it's hot outside. So it's, it just speaks to the, the Chicago or the Midwest kind of temperature mentality that to think that 37 degrees outside is warm. Barbecue weather. I could go to the beach in that weather. Wow. Like, outside in shorts weather uh, speaks to how cold it can get here sometimes. So, I mean, today was a good day weather-wise. You're a real trooper for bearing through the Chicago cold. Like, have you ever been to like the heat, heat, like hot, hot, like states? Yes. Can you do that that. too? Can you do both? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I've been in California. I've been in Texas. I've been in Florida. And um, again, just kind of like, I'll see people outside in like 50 degree weather with like their Timberland boots and their (laughs) uh, great, like their goose jackets. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, it, what are you doing? I am wearing shorts and flip-flops. So again, it's kind of like that temperature check. Um, I know for sure I, I can never last in Florida just because it's so humid and hot. And with all the mosquitoes, I don't know for whatever reason, I am just mosquitoes just like cling to me. Like I like I went to Puerto Rico once and I it looked mosquito bites all over. So for sure I to visit, but I don't know yet just to live. live. Uh, Definitely prefer the cold uh, than mosquito bites. Uh, And I always say too, it's just like, okay, we don't have hurricanes. We don't have tornadoes sometimes, but not (laughs) often. We don't have like, you know, things like that. So I'm like, all right, I'll give and take here. And you'll compromise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, I think you get used to it after so many years of living there. I think it took me a long time to get used to like the humidity out here in Texas, especially like Houston, Dallas, not so much, but Houston for sure was like, it cleared my skin though. I will say the humidity really helped my skin. Um, 
And yeah, but I mean, moving on to like what we're here for and what everyone is here for. If you guys are listening, thank you so much for being part of this conversation. And um, yeah, we have so many topics and uh, a lot of things to discuss today, uh, focusing on the DACA series, the undocumented journey. And Melanie, can you tell me a little bit more about DACA and how as a DACA recipient, you can uh, describe DACA to somebody that may not know what it is? Ooh, yes, I love this question. So DACA is uh, Deferred Action for Early Childhood Arrivals. And the way I like to explain it more so is just, it's an executive action through former President Barack Obama. A lot of times people tend to confuse it as like a law or as a bill or this or that, but it's an executive action by the president um, who was like, hey, we weren't able to pass the DREAM Act. And so I'll give you this, you know, for now uh, as like a, I want to say it's like a band-aid, but it be, kind of became this bigger thing. Basically, it means that young undocumented individuals who are brought here as children are able to legally work in the United States and they're protected against deportation. Those are like the big two. You can work and you won't get deported. Now, in terms of like the eligibility criteria and all that, it it's pretty much been the same. I got DACA when it first came out. And um, it's, I would say it's changed a little bit since it first came out because of all of the, the administration and, and rescinding it and coming back and yes and no, and maybe so it's always in limbo, it feels like, but to someone um, who doesn't really know what it is, it basically allows someone like me uh, to work legally in the United States and to not get deported uh, is how I would describe DACA. Yes. That's a very personable explanation. And sometimes I feel like I've gotten people telling me, well, like you tell me about your experience, but what does that mean? Right? Like when we're sharing these stories and where we're sharing and trying to define concepts such as DACA to someone that may not know or may not be familiar with it, we're kind of doing firsthand examples of like, look at my life, you know, this is how DACA affects me and how uh, I can describe DACA through me, right? And so I hope that through the conversation, we're able to give a glimpse of different examples, scenarios, and stories, both of us that we can share so that it does make an impact on someone that may not be familiar or like maybe know someone, but isn't sure how they can help or why this is even important to them. So uh, talking about uh, your experience as a dreamer, today we have a very super awesome episode because you were so excited to bring on an umbrella of topics focusing on mental health and your mental health journey as an undocumented individual. And so as we're going to be covering several topics, I do want to make an understanding to anyone listening that this is based on both you and my experience. Um, So kind of giving us a glimpse of like where you are right now. Um, I know I met you through the Dream.us scholarship. So kind of giving us your background and um, everything that has allowed you to feel comfortable sharing about this today. Great, let's do it. All right, so to like kick off the conversation and kind of get us going, um, let's talk about like your firsthand experience realizing what is like to be undocumented and maybe bringing it back from like when we were little, when we were kids, when we were the firsthand dreamers, right? Because that's essentially what the dreamer is, someone that is a child growing up in America. So um, tell me about your background in your like early life. How was that? 
So I was born in Quito, Ecuador, and Quito is the capital of Ecuador. And I came to Chicago when I was barely a year old. So baby Melanie in Chicago with my mom and two older siblings. And my story of coming to the United States is interesting too, because it's not very typical in the sense that most uh, people, when they come out, when they come to the United States, they overstay a visa. But because we weren't able to obtain a visa in our country, um, I had to come a completely other way, like a way you would see maybe in like narcos or like some crazy way you, you would imagine. Um, I was only one year old, so I'm only interpreting from what like my family has told me, but um, you know, I just came to Chicago uh, in the winter of 1996, right? And it's funny that you mentioned winter because that's when my mom, my mom came, just kidding, I came 97. My mom and my older siblings came 96 and I was born 95. So I was born 95, then my mom and my older siblings came to Chicago. I was in Ecuador for a year with my grandma. And then I came a year afterwards um, with my cousins, right? And so um, it's funny that you mentioned winter because that was when my mom immigrated to Chicago. She came 95 winter storm, like this big winter storm that happened. And like, that was her like crash course into winter weather. To America, like let yeah, alone America. winter weather. Like, hey, welcome to America. Boom. Snowstorm. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Cold. Boom. You're, you're without your baby. <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean. And what, you know, I came a year later and then even just growing up uh, in terms of my stat. So I always knew I was undocumented, right? Even as a young child, I just thought that meant that I couldn't participate on like radio Disney contests. The ones that like fly <laughs> you and a friend out to LA to meet Jack and Cody or the Cheetah Girls or High School Musical cast or like those Danimals like contests where it's oh, like, oh, I remember those. Yes. Like, win a trip. And I'm like, oh, I can never participate in that because it would always say only to US citizens, legal permanent residents, like that little fine print they say at the end. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, cool. Like, sad face. I can't participate in those um, contests um, or that I can't fly around the United States. I always thought that was a big thing. Like, I couldn't fly in a plane. Uh, around the United States. So I'm like, all right, that's fine. Like no big deal. I'll still be me, you know, growing up with nineties music uh, in like early 2000s. So I was into like Destiny's Child and the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, but also like early like year Shakira and Thalia and like the Berlin, all that stuff, you know? So um, it wasn't such a big deal. I always knew I was undocumented as a child and my parents would raise me saying like, hey, if anybody ever asks you, you know, say that you're from here, never tell anyone that you were born somewhere else. And I never really understood that part, but I knew it was really important because they would have like their serious face, like, hey, don't do this. Like, be very mindful of what you say and from where you come from. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, and so then I guess that's kind of like where that whole identity, like, just started confusion that's yeah, all it identity is crisis identity confusion started I would say right I'm like okay yeah. cool so that's where I would say like childhood right in terms of my status and then even knowing that um growing up you know in uh with immigrant parents and just like the pressure overall of being a good student of you know the dreamer narrative right have good grades 
you know, be a good citizen in all sense of the word. And you'll goody two shoes. You'll be like repaid. You'll be paid. My understanding, you'll be paid with citizenship or like, you know, you'll, (laughs) you'll be rewarded is for your fruits of your labor. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, through, throughout school, throughout middle school, I'll be like, oh, I, I need to get good grades. I need to do this. Like in order to prove myself worthy of this, uh, of being an American or of being a U.S. citizen, right? Which I knew I didn't have, but I needed. Um, and so then uh, this actually was probably the root of a lot of my anxiety. You know, I would have anxiety attacks starting at like, I want to say I was like in eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade. And um, a lot of it stemmed from that. And also the fact that I'm scared of natural disasters, hence why I can never live in Florida or Texas. Well, you could have started with that from the beginning when we were talking (laughs) about that. You were blaming it on mosquitoes. (laughs) Right? No, I mean, I've, I've grown past it with therapy, which we'll talk about later. But I'll just get all these anxiety attacks of, you know, the pressure of being a good student, uh, like the student council president, all of this stuff was just building up in middle school. And I just started to have full blown anxiety attacks. Like my first time I'll never forget, I was, um, and I'll go into a little like antidote for the, my first anxiety attack. I was, uh, I was like my eighth grade class president and um, there was like a Valentine's Day dance and we needed chaperones for it. So I, I guess it was my responsibility to find chaperones, at least is how I remember it. So they gave me a list of like parents that could chaperone and it's like Thursday night and for the next day, Friday. And I, I remember thinking if I don't get at least two chaperones, this dance will never happen. Everyone will hate me, blah, 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 blah. So it's yeah. like eight o'clock, I'm pacing back and forth trying to like get a parent to agree to come to this eighth grade Valentine's Day dance. And I got to the last name on my list and they all said no. And then like something just physiologically started happening to me where I just like couldn't breathe. All that pressure just came like crashing down. And it was so weird because like the light, I like my eyes were sensitive to the light. I was like hyperventilating. I go into the kitchen, my mom's like washing the dishes. And I'm like, mom, no puedo respirar. I can't breathe. And then, you know, she's like, what? And she like drops it. And I'm just like hyperventilating. So she takes me to the room, like, what's going on with you? You were just like on the phone. Like, what? She was so confused. And, um, you know, I start hyperventilating even more because somebody telling me to calm down, like oddly makes me worse. So I'm just like, like breathing really fast. So um, I guess I, it, it came to a point where I passed out, like, and no, my family don't, my family doesn't know what anxiety is or what an anxiety attack is. They're like, they think I'm dying. Like, let's take her to the hospital. And so, um, they take me to the hospital and I just, it's like, and at this point, it's all like scenes, I call it just like certain points that I remember. Cause that whole night or day night was a blur. So, um, you know, the doctor starts asking me all these weird questions, like, have you ever thought of hurting yourself or has, you know, to me, it was weird because I'm like 13, 12. I'm like, Mm -hmm. why are you asking me this? Of course not. Like, I just couldn't breathe. You know, to me, it was like, all right, like, why all this workup, you guys? Like, we're good. And so that's when the doctor's like, yeah, we're diagnosing you with anxiety. I'm like, oh, oh, got a whole diagnosis. Wow. And so they recommended therapy and um, 
you know, that actually never happened until I got to college. There, It's because like, I don't know if it's a Latino thing, a Hispanic thing, an immigrant thing, but like going to therapy was just not heard of. It was either too expensive or only for the crazy people yeah. or like too extreme. Like that's something you go to, to like for the extreme. So that's just like something I never really got at that age at 12 years old. So I kept having panic attacks and um, I actually then going into high no, actually from middle school going, I developed and this is something I'm sharing for the first time. I've never shared this. I've shared it with like my boyfriends or like my friends or my family, but never like out In there. The open. Oh my yeah. goodness. So this is like a first time because this is why I wanted to do this in the first place, just to shed a light on the mental health of like in an undocumented individual and just like kind of not romanticizing, I would say the whole dreamer narrative, like this is real. And I would hope that this inspires others um, to talk about, openly talk about their mental health. So I actually, uh, this one is self-diagnosed. So this is me going on WebMD. (laughs) Which is the worst, but you tell me if it's true or not. What did they, what what was it? Maybe I should look up the definition, the definition, because hold on really quickly. Okay. So I was maybe 10 when this started, but I started to like pull out my hair at a very young age, like right here at the crown. Um, I don't know exactly why. I don't remember the first time, but it became so bad, Sandra, that like I had patches, bald patches right here on like the scalp of my head or like sometimes here. And I don't think there's like any pictures, which is crazy. I'm like, was this like a fever dream? I'm I'm sure it happened because I still have like the scarring from it. What? So I, it's called trichotillomania and uh, per Google, it's a condition that gives some people strong urges to pull out their own hair. It can affect men, people of any age. Uh, and p- so people with trichotillomania pull hair out at the root from places like scalp, eyebrows, eyelashes, or eyelashes. So I never got the eyebrow eyelashes because I already have, I didn't, I really, I already don't have as much as it is. <laughs> So I just did it from my hair. And like, if you were to Google it and look at the pictures like that I'm looking at right now, that's literally what my hair looked like. It was crazy. At 10 years old. Yeah, 10 years old. And I don't know why on it. I found such relief in doing that. Or I felt like at that point, thinking about it now, um, like it was the only thing I had control of. Mm. If that makes sense. Right. So given the status, given the anxiety, given just everything in my life, even at that young age, I felt like I was not in control of many things. And that was one of the things that I did. So it, yeah, in a way it was like self, I, I justified it this way at a young age. I'm like, well, if it's not that harmful in the sense that like back then, a lot of my like people that I knew were like either like cutting themselves or like, you know, the email thing through it. Like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm not that bad, I guess. Like, I'm just doing this and I could stop whenever, right? But, you know, over the, over time, it became really bad. I would like, I would wear hats a lot. I would wear like scarves and like, you can, you would never see me without a hat. Wow. Is what so um, I actually still kind of struggle with it. Even like, I'm 27 now, like I was 10 then. 
but it wasn't as bad as it was when I was young. So I still kind of struggle with it, but like that is something that for sure doesn't get talked about um, a lot. And, but I'm sure I saw it on TikTok. I saw this girl post it where she like showed her like bald patch. I'm like, oh my gosh, like TikTok said for you. (laughs) They know, sometimes they know too much. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to be off of this for a while. (laughs) But like talking about your experience going into like from childhood and like early, like, you know, early Melanie trying to like get to know herself, you know, you're developing, your body's changing. We're going through so many things. Like, first of all, us girls, Mm -hmm. second of all, considering our like, like location wise, right? Like our community, depending on where you grew up with who you grew up and how you grew up, it kind of creates this little like stepping stones of where you get to be. And so like, as you're telling me, first of all, you grew up in America, like literally from birth because you were barely one. So like you still had that notion of being undocumented. Where did that come from? Like, did your parents sit you down or like, was it the community that put that mentality of the undocumented label on you right away? Uh, Yes and no. I want to say a lot of it also has to do with my like Latinidad or like with my Hispanic identity. Right. And it's, and I I say this till this day, you know, um, I always felt neither from there nor from here because, um, at least when I was here with other Ecuadorian people or even around like family sometimes, I felt like, oh, I don't speak Spanish well enough or I don't have an accent or I'm taller or like this or this or that, right? And then here where like, I'm practically like Chicagoan or Midwestern or like American, but I don't have that social security number. Or I don't have, I, till this, I don't know what financial, I, I don't know the financial aid process. I don't, I don't know what it's like to go to Cancun or like not have anxiety when you go to the airport and like travel, you know, things like that, uh, that definitely started that notion of neither from here nor from there. So you could kind of see how that definitely played a big part in like my anxiety or like my identity, especially going through high school and college and how that kind of manifested into even like, like depression and like other mental, uh, I don't know how to say it. Yeah. But how that kind of stemmed into like into other, other like, issues. Yeah. And it's concerning because like, like you said, first of all, being in a Latino household where people don't believe in therapy and they like, they believe in the chancla, they believe in like pretty much everything else, but therapy um, and related to like the traumas that our parents go through and went through and never healed never took care of right because they haven't gone through therapy but like for example like imagine their life like the reason to come into the states bring on their family start over not know the language and then they portray all of that towards us as kids right because all of a sudden like I remember my mom needing me to like help translate they say you know sabia she's like entonces para que and I'm like, but I don't learn this at school, mom. I don't know this medical terminology, but she's like expecting 
And I don't know if anybody else listening can relate, but like our parents expected a lot from us mm-hmm. and not only our parents, but your teachers, you yourself, as you were telling me, being involved with everything in school, I think I was that way myself. And I don't know if anybody else within the same experience was like that. Like you had to be team captain. You had to play a sport. You had to be president. You had to overdo yourself. Like you said, not only to prove your own worth, but like to hustle because that's what your parents expected you to. And if you didn't, if I didn't come home with good grades, I would, I would hear it from my parents because apparently that was my only responsibility, you know, Mm -hmm. as, as a child. And they made it sound like it was, it was my only job. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's a lot of pressure starting from like a young age. Now I couldn't imagine going into like high school and like feeling the way you were feeling because already you were showing not only symptoms, but like you were showing a really like, I would say like you were a really hard time dealing Mm -hmm. with all these emotions. Did you get to talk about it with any friends? You know, yes and no. I say that a lot. Yes and no. So (laughs) explain, please. Yes. Sort like not yes in high school, but it was always it was how do I explain this? So when I would tell friends, those who didn't really understand what it was, I didn't even know how to explain it, right? I explained it the way I just explained it, like before DACA, right? About Disney Channel contests and like flying planes and stuff. But in high school, obviously it was more than that. It was not being eligible for financial aid or uh, being able to attend the four-year university that you want. And so when I would tell friends, it was a lot of, it felt like, I'm sure they, they meant it otherwise, but it felt like a lot of pity. It felt like, oh my gosh, like, that's terrible. Like, you don't, you like, you don't deserve that. Like this and this and that. Right. And I'm still very close friends with one of my high school best friends. And he's like one of the most supportive people regarding my status and just in general, but you know, in high school, not that many people knew. I didn't tell that many in the first place. And those that did were just like, oh my gosh, like, I feel so sorry, like this and this and that. I never expected anyone to understand until you're really in the position yourself. But I think for me, when I would hear those types of responses, that's when I decided that those are the responses that I do not like, or like didn't need. I didn't need the pity. I didn't need that. I think it was more so the hoping for you to understand and hoping to, for them to gain perspective of like, of that kind of life, right? And, And if anything, appreciate what they had that much more, not only to friends, but even to my younger sibling, who's a US citizen, like I'm in a mixed status family. And so my younger sibling who grew up with me, I hope the same thing, not so much for like pity, obviously, but like, hey, like you have this, something that I don't, something that your other siblings don't, like, hopefully you can take advantage of it is kind of like what I would hope in sharing my story with anyone, friends, family, strangers. And so like, I'm glad you asked that because a lot of times it's like, how do you even have that conversation with friends, let alone like boyfriends, right? Or like, yes, it's like our coming out story. It's an overwhelming fear because just like you mentioned, everyone is told not to share, not to tell, lie. You're not from there. You're from here. Mm-hmm. And even if, you know, 
uh, everybody knows otherwise, you still lie, you know, like deny, deny, deny. But like, seriously, you kind of grew up with this like embarrassment. Like if I can relate it to my own experience, I was embarrassed of being undocumented compared to like everyone, like my peers, like my friends or like anyone else that I remember one time there was, uh, there was a program in high school and this was like sophomore year or freshman year, freshman year. And um, they, they had this program partner with like Alaska, like a Cambridge program where like you went through like a series of classes and testing. And then eventually you ended up having a trip to Alaska. And this was for like the best of the best of the class. And so like they tapped on everybody. And so like, I knew I was, I topped, I was like one of the top, you know, like I would say 10%. Um, so I saw all my friends getting tapped, you know, from honors classes, from everywhere. And so I started like researching like what they were doing because they were literally taking them out of class um, and then taking them to like do all these things. So like they were special. And I was like, and I literally went up like, who the heck do I think I am? Right. Because I went up to the counselor. I was like, uh, excuse me, why am I not there? And they're like, oh, um, this is something that is for, you know, these and these students with these grades. And I was like, I checked the list. I was like, I do all of this. Like, this is me. Why am I not here? And they're like, oh, well, based on your, you know, um, information, you don't have the status to first of all travel second of all like be part of the testing because they were doing like college prep testing all these things that you needed a social for and it was like a pathway to college and I'm like why was I not selected and I was like I'm sorry but that's not fair it's not my fault that I do not have this and I need to be a part of this so literally I fought my way in but like just looking back into like that experience and as you and I were sharing, how do you even bring up the conversation with peers? And I think this is where if you and I can relate on this is like I felt less than them yeah. because even though we were like in the same category or like we were looked at, oh, well, all of us are intelligent. We're in the same class. We're in the same, you know, like ranking or whatever, but I was still less than them. And I say that with like little like cracks on my throat because I was like, oh, I remember that feeling. And just like I try to avoid the conversation of making it a point of like, oh, yeah, I don't have papers. Right. Because it did make a difference to me. And I don't know, like you're just how you're saying it. Like, how do you even bring that up? Like, how do you even bring that up in relationships? Like, have you had any experiences where like it really like either affected you sharing or not sharing? Sharing or not sharing? Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, so, the title of this episode is going to be yes and no. Yes and no. <laughs> so I'll start with um, similar to your story about um, feeling less than and like the first per- teacher I told. I believe you you had a similar story on your episode, but the first person slash teacher I told in high school was um, my military instructor. So I was in a a military program in high school called ROTC. Yes. And they ROTC because it was like Navy. Oh. I only did that program because I was out of the district at my high school, shout out Taft. And um, actually all my older siblings and majority of my cousins went to the same high school. So when I joined this military program, my older sister, who's six years older than me, who had already graduated, told me, hey, like, you're going to love this program, join all the clubs, get involved, this and this and that. So naturally, I do what my sister said, and I and I got involved. And so, um, you know, being in a military program as an undocumented student, again, it just adds to that 
it to me it made me feel patriotic very patriotic right I knew I knew all of the um like like everything what are they called I don't even remember it now because it was branches military like branches of legislation orders of to the century and like what ranks and you know honorable this and that and so I had all the ribbons I was like an ROTC nerd and I loved it (laughs) I was very proud of it And so, um, you know, it adding to my sense of being an American, I would go to the Great Lakes Naval Base and compete there, you know, just being in mini boot camps, like think of Cadet Kelly from like Disney Channel, but Navy and like Latina girl, like, boom, very similar to that, I would say. And so then um, my military instructor, uh, rest in peace, Lieutenant Commander Paul Muffler, he um, was like, Butron, um, you know, I want you to apply to the ROTC scholarship, which to me, I don't know the exact amount, but to me, it felt like it was millions of dollars because that's what it sounded like. I, you're, you're a shoe in you have all the qualifications, but so, so I'm like, cool, where do I apply? You know, I did my training, my physical training, everything I needed to do to prepare for this uh, scholarship opportunity. And um, it was great because the scholarship was like, all right, you can go to any college you want or that you'll get accepted to. And we'll pay the four years there, major in anything. All you have to do is afterwards join the Navy um, for four years as a commissioned officer, which basically means like you're set, like college, whatever major, and you like serve as an officer, get paid, you have a job, like perfect. Yeah, that sounded really good. So um, my Lieutenant Commander Muffler pulls me into his office. He's like, I don't remember if he said that I got it or if I was in like those semifinals, but he was like, oh, you know, they need, um, you know, some information on your application. So he asked me like, what's your social? And I like pause and I I got really nervous. Like my palms start sweating. And then um, I'm like, well, uh, I have an I-10. Can I give you an I-10? And then he's like, no, Beatron, I need your social. And, and, you know, he could kind of sense my nervousness. And at that point, he kind of like deeply sighs. And I don't know if it's because it's from his 20 plus years in, in education and, or maybe, you know, he's seen this before, but, you know, um, I told him like shyly, I'm like, you know what, I don't have one. And I was like fighting every urge, every like hair on my body to not tell him because that's what I was raised to do like don't tell, especially uh, like a dude from your school in a navy mil- like a military know, guy you don't know what I, power he has what is he gonna know? do to you <laughs> so I like I tell him and then he's like well what do you mean I'm like well you know I'm, I'm not from here and this and this and that and just when I thought he was gonna call ice and be like get this you know person out of my sight he like uno reverse card was like you know, like, what can I do? Like, can I adopt you? Like, how can we get you where you need to be in order to claim this? And I'm just like, tears, like literally running down like my eyes. And I'm like, like, what do you mean? And and I'm sure it was a really nice gesture. I think I was already like 17 or 18 by then. I mean, the whole adoption thing, but just the fact that he thought that and he responded that was exactly the reaction that I needed like the little me inside was just like so liberated and just even telling anyone and to get that type of response was just so 
great like I don't even know how to just I don't have I think that's the word like freeing yeah Yeah. freeing and so he he then went on to tell me like that's okay like you're you're gonna be fine he said that he like grabbed my shoulder he's like you're gonna be fine like you can go to a community college and if you do go there you can literally go anywhere and you know he was really right in that sense you know um just that I'll be okay you're gonna be fine you are going to be fine and I think that's what I needed to hear because in high school at least at that point junior senior year um with all the like bad thoughts in my head not being able to go to college um just like all of those bad thoughts and to be told you're gonna be fine like you can make it like you're gonna you're gonna find your way I'm like oh my gosh like taken for a whirlwind you know and so and that was after that was um after a uh college fair let me tell you college fairs are traumatizing (laughs) it just adds to that you're not gonna anxiety anything because you have all these colleges from in-state out of state you see all your friends all excited to get their brochures and their pamphlets and talk to recruiters and here I am just like looking but I'm not looking and um I remember after that whole thing just going into that into the hallway where my locker was and just like crying to one of my friends at the time just telling her it's not fair like you know I don't know what to do I was really in a bad place at that point because I felt like there was nothing for me to do I remember writing in my journal too like you know I'm just gonna like work like cash paying job and just like you know, be another person, you know, like just felt like I had no room to even dream. You know, I didn't even have the privilege or the, to, to dream even, to even think that far ahead in life um, because of that status. So it's like, think about it at that college fair, I had all that stuff from my childhood at that college fair. I had um, then that whole scholarship kind of like ripped from under me. And then obviously the reaction from uh, my, the military instructor Paul Muffler was very sweet but it was just like you know for him to say you're gonna be fine was kind of all I needed um, after all of that experience in high school and so I would that that's the answer to your question the whole telling people right just those- <laughs> yeah I mean it was really I mean you literally put yourself in like a story of like this is where I started to like where I got from here and like Mm -hmm. I think I think as you're telling me looking back it made a difference that this person military person that you looked up to told Mm -hmm. you this right because like telling someone you're undocumented could either go both ways you were expecting this person to react like oh we gotta send you back to where you came from you know and like it's the expectation we all have when disclosing our status to anyone it's like you're gonna think and you really really never know like I learned that you never know people's intentions so like they can be your friends they can be you know like all these things and you never know who's gonna like literally put a phone call to ice or you you don't know what people are capable of doing and so there's always that fear especially like disclosing this to someone like like in power like this person like this military guy and here you go and, and disclose it and I think that's what made it special like that he embraced you right instead of like turning his back on you or like you don't belong here and I think that's the support we need and I feel like 
I hope and I pray that many other people get that same support and get that same reaction because I know it doesn't happen like that most of the times. Um, I lived in Arizona and so I've, I've encountered a lot of people who have reacted the other way and kind of look at you up and down and kind of like, you know, um, so like, I think that's a good starter to you feeling, again, free. Um, mm-hmm. And anyone else who is still like trying to navigate the social aspect of being undocumented, the uh, crisis of like, who am I, right? Like, I think um, during my personal statement in college, that's all I wanted to write about. Like literally, like when I was applying to college, I wanted to describe the check because they make it out to be like, what has been your biggest challenge? Living my freaking life. That's been a freaking challenge. Can I just go there and like tell you everything? Like a diary, right? But like, again, you're expected to give them this narrative. And I think going back to like the dreamer narrative, you're supposed to be someone who struggles, who faces all these things, who has all this challenge and adversity and like how you come after it is what makes you, you know, worth something. And it's like, damn, that's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And so like kind of attaining it to like, that's like social aspects. What about like romantic relationships? Did you ever have any encounters with like romantic relationships regarding your status? Oh yeah. Most if not all of my relationships knew about my status. By the time I I was like dating, like I was all, but by that time I was already out and about like about my story because this is more so going into college. I didn't really say it uh, much in high school, but like, by the time I was at in college and I, I, I felt empowered by like my community, by my friends, by therapy, by coming out of the shadows per se, everyone knew. So when I was in a relationship, they were like, oh yeah, like that's Melanie. Like I would have to explain things here and there um, about my status and what it means. And um, it's tricky. It's tricky when in relationships because I never wanted to, I guess, come off as like in relationships like I'm dating you to get your papers or you know like to marry you a citizen like you have to be a citizen to date me type of thing (laughs) yeah like I never wanted it to come off that way by telling my status you know it's just a part of a big part of my identity and so that's why I disclose it especially if I'm in a relationship but I I, it's tricky right in in with um with hoping that it never comes off as that way or just um one of my relationships actually they were very like, I wouldn't say they were conservative, but let's just call it conservative. And um, it was interesting just kind of explaining my perspective or my struggle. And um, it never got to a place where it was like awkward or weird. It was just like, hey, like we're like existing together and like in this romantic relationship. That one obviously did not last, not because of that reason, but it, it was it's a hit or miss, I would say in relationships. Right. And thankfully in the relationship that I am now, they're very understanding and very like, they already knew, like, again, cause I'm all out and about, I have a tattoo. Like, oh, I look am, at that. like I'm so they're so understanding. And, um, it's, it's nice to have that type of support when you're in a romantic relationship. And, um, again, like we'll joke here and there, like, he'll say like, oh, meet me at the courthouse tomorrow or, you know, this and that, but we've established a good, like back and forth, a good rat at tat when it comes to the whole like status thing, but it's definitely tricky. Um, and we're, we're, I'm still figuring it out. Right. But, um, 
that's, I guess, how I would approach it. I've, I've definitely shared it with a lot of my, my romantic relationships. Um, and a lot of times it's just like something I mentioned and like something we don't really talk about anymore. It's some like it's, in other times it's, I mentioned it and like, so tell me like the intricacies and like this and that. I always love telling my sister's story because when she told her boyfriend, now husband uh, about her status, um, uh, my brother-in-law just, you know, the next day, like bought a book and read the whole thing. And he was like up to date with like, well, not up to date, but he was just trying to understand it more. And I'm like, that's really sweet. Right. That so it's really sweet. I always kind of like really telling that example. Cause he didn't know much about it. Right. He didn't know anyone about it. So like, well, now they're married and they have a beautiful like baby, but like, Hey, I, I want to learn more about this. It's important to you. Bam. You know, that's, like, that's how much I care about you. Right. Because again, yeah the people the way that people react to you coming out and sharing makes a difference in how you carry yourself after that because like you can get yourself like boosted with confidence and like oh that person didn't make a big deal maybe it isn't a big deal maybe I can be out and be proud and be like excited for something right because like I can share this with someone where before we talked about like the depression the anxiety of even just holding that secret there's a lot of like like in my head, I'm just like, I'm always overthinking everything. And like, mm-hmm. I'm that kind of person that I can be truthfully honest. Like, I always feel like everyone's out to get me. Right. Yeah. Like, so I'm always like having to like second guess everyone's like, if you do something nice for me, well, why did you do that? Like, what do you, what do you want? What do you want from me? You know, type of thing. And so like disclosing to people and the way they react to you and the way that they are with you kind of helps you like break down the walls that you built yourself from like way back when, when Melanie was one years old mm-hmm. and like, I hope that like we keep breaking those barriers. And I think that having these conversations really make a difference in like providing examples. And maybe if you're an ally listening, you kind of have an idea of like how important it is to someone who may disclose to you, hey, I'm a DACA recipient or hey, I'm a dreamer. I don't have DACA, like especially in the different settings, like at work, at school, uh, wherever you may encounter someone, you never know what people are really going through and kind of being a supportive person rather than like dismissive makes a world of a difference. Exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up in terms of um, feeling like everyone was out to get you. I felt that way 2017. And, you know, or 2016, 2016, you know, 2016, when was it 2016 yeah. when Trump got elected? Um, that was tough on my mental health, for sure. When Trump was elected, um, you know, by then it was 2016. So I had graduated high school 2013. I went into community college and might I just add really quick, can we normalize community college? Because Woo-hoo! I know so many people, so many professors, established professionals, that go that have attended graduated a, from a community college and um just to kind of go back to high school and feeling like ashamed you know my older sibling she's like if anybody asks you know tell them that I go I went to this university and not to a community college I'm like well no like you know that's just kind of like the stereotype but I had a, a wonderful time at, at uh, Wright College City Colleges of Chicago and just like it's given me so much and so it actually took me four years to complete my associate's degree. Typically it takes two, but because I was going part-time, I was working, I was just, it took me four years. And so um, when, when I started in 2013 and I was, you know, doing that, um, 
mandatory orientation and they they uh explained like the different they go they went through the different college resources and the college resource that like just thing to me would they're like oh yeah we have um what was it called like a a wellness center it was called a wellness center where you can go get counseling or like resources uh, for mental health or things like that and boom like the light bulb circled it like star highlighted in my little like notebook because going back to when I was 12 years old diagnosed with anxiety and told to go to therapy and I never did I'm like this is my chance and they said free 99 free yeah free whether I was a student or not because it's <gasps> really college. oh yeah, wow a lot of the resources at a community college are for students and the community so it just you know I was a student and I I knew they t- they talked about the resource I'm like oh I'm signing up and um I signed up with the purpose of wanting to get to the root of like my trichotillomania or my hair pulling and the whole like undocumented status part like those are my goals going into therapy and so then I went religiously once a week every Monday uh, for four years my whole time there at community college each year I had a different person because I'm pretty sure they were grad students but it it helped immensely right in figuring out who I was my emotions um you know, just getting to the root of a lot of um, things inside my head, right? And so come 2016, Trump is elected. And I like, I felt like everyone was out to get me. You know, I felt like Trump knew me and he's like, Melanie, I'm coming after you. Like, girl, you better run because I'm get I'm getting you. And, it, you know, it all has to do with the rhetoric that he used and just this whole rhetoric in general from not just him but like his supporters and in general I'm just like I'm afraid I'm afraid for my life I'm afraid for my family's life this is scary even being in a friendly uh city like Chicago that's very undocumented diverse yeah I felt very scared I'll never forget the day after he got elected and I thought he wasn't going to win but I just remember like being so desensitized like you know in the movies when like all you hear is like a like a beep in your head I don't know how like and so the next day I go to school slash work because I also worked there and I remember it felt like a funeral people because I was all out and about and proud by then it took me all that time and healing to come out and like be good with my status and you know trying to get through all my traumas and then bam, like Trump selected. And every, I remember, like I said, like a funeral, people are like, I'm so sorry, this and this and that. Like, you know, uh, I got a lot of marriage proposals. I don't know if they were real or not, but you know, everyone, and it seemed like everyone at that, like we can go right now to, like, no, it's fine. Like, it's cool. But um, it was a scary time. Um, I remember going to therapy too, just crying. Cause I'm like, I'm like, oh, like, I'm really done for like, it's, if I, and I remember like telling my therapist, like worst case scenario, it's me and my whole family. And the only one here is my younger sibling. And she was underage at the time. So I'm like, then she would go into the system and then this and that, you know, just thinking worst case scenario, you know, having an emergency plan, like with a code that says like code black. And that means that someone has someone like I got someone. So like, go get your go bag and like meet at X spot and just like 
thinking of all these contingency plans. And I'm just like, I'm, I don't even know how old I was at the time. I was like 20 something, like early 20. I'm like, I shouldn't be thinking this way, but like, that's immediately like what it went to. And, you know, it, I felt like I fell into a really bad depression. So I'll never forget when I went to that therapy session, my therapist was like, how can you channel this uh, nervous, this energy, this nervous energy into something positive? And I'm like, I'm looking at her like, bitch, what do you mean something positive? This is I'm going to take it away tomorrow. What are we positive things to do? Like, the end, like everything I work for, you know, just uh, the apocalyptic mindset, like zombies. And then um, it's so funny because she's like, no, like how can you convert this energy into something that could help you? And I don't know if she gave me the idea or if we just came up with it, thinking it out loud, but um, she's like, why don't you get involved with the like election process? I'm like, what, how I'm a dog. I can't even get near anything. I can't vote. It's like, no, like, why don't you help spread awareness about your story about, and maybe that'll convince those who can to vote. And I'm like, Oh, you're on to something. Sure. But how, you know, and you know, that I got at that point, I really liked that idea of just converting that nervous energy into something good. So I actually uh, did an internship for uh, an organization called Chicago Votes. And they're a nonpartisan organization that wants to get young people involved in the democratic process. So they don't say vote blue, vote red, vote green, whatever. It's just letting you know, especially young people, about the issues um, that affect your day-to-day, about um, voter registration, about, especially in Chicago, just given all of its political history, just um, knowing, knowing your your shit, I would say. Awareness. Yeah. Bringing awareness. awareness. Yeah. That's important. And especially for young people, because I think like, especially 2016, uh, people obviously vote during like presidential elections because it's all hyped and it's all big, but not so much in your city ones or your local ones, which I would say are more important because they affect your day to day. And so at least for me, I mean, obviously I, I couldn't vote, but I'm like, if I could help explain the process to someone who can, um, then you're making the difference. You're, you're, you're voting for me. Yeah. You're voting for me or you're like, you know, fighting the beast from within, if that makes sense. So I think at that point, yeah, I, I, I was able to register people to vote. Um, I checked like, cause I girl, I did not want to like for it to come back and be like, no, you did this. You couldn't like lock you up. Like, no, I was totally allowed. I think at that time I had DACA too. So I had DACA, I was able to register people to vote. So by the end of my internship, I think we, we like registered over 500 people to vote, which is like bananas, right? Think like, hey, there's not much I can do about a whole presidential election, but to convert the energy, all those bad thoughts, all the anxiety into something that was so rewarding to me. And, and again, it didn't feel like I was pressuring anyone to like, vote for me and feel bad for me but it was more so like hey let me tell you about uh the issues and like if you if we're talking about immigration I'm happy to use myself as an example um we talked about other issues like higher education and food insecurity and mental health and all that stuff but that was something to me that was just 
so rewarding. And granted, oh, so sorry, 2016, he wasn't elected. It was like that last couple months right before election day. So November. Yeah. So he wasn't elected just yet. So it was the fall of 2016. Then come spring 2017, he was elected. And then I started doing an internship with Senator Durbin. Oh, wow. Um, You were so close to all of that. Yeah. So to do that internship with U.S. Senator Dick Durbin, who is the champion of the DREAM Act, and just like, I call him like the OG, like, chant, like, advocate for undocumented for immigration reform the dreamers like he is amazing in all sense of the word so to have been able to intern for him during for like peak trump being elected for the first time was bananas and if i'm talking about mental health it definitely helped recondition my mindset i say that because like i i wasn't like i would one of my duties was to pick up the phone at Senator Durbin's office for constituent concerns. And people from all over the United States would call and just give their concerns about anything that uh, that was happening. So obviously when he was elected or when he, anytime he uh, talked about dreamers or an immigration reform or anything, we would get those calls. And so I would have to, in a professional setting, you know, hear these really like these people talk really badly about someone like me. And obviously they didn't know, but, you know, with my nicest, most customer service, like boys, I'd be like, oh, thanks. I'll make sure it gets to him. Like, let me write it down. What was your name? And it helped me feel less attacked, if that makes sense. It helped recondition my mind to think like, like Melanie, they're not attacking you. It applies to you. Like you're not the only one. I think that's something that I learned. You're not the only one. There's 400,000 people with DACA, 11 million are are undocumented. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, you know, don't feel attacked. They're just expressing their freedoms, whatever. So that to me was just such a, a wild year for my mental health, uh, given all that I just said, right? It's, I, I, you know, just being in college in general, right? And then just bam, Trump gets elected and then doing all these internships. And it was a, definitely like a tug and pull, I would say. A lot of times I fell down and then other times I felt very empowered because of where I found myself at the time, whether in my internships or at my jobs or just in general, right? I found a lot of power from the things that I got involved with in that year. That is like really refreshing, kind of like realizing, first of all, that you got therapy, which again, is a free benefit. If any of you guys are in college, if any of you guys are in community college, which I learned today, it's open to the community, maybe wherever you go, check with your community colleges. Um, I also went through therapy. So firsthand, like I know this makes a world of a difference to mm-hmm. someone struggling with the things and themes that we've shared. Um, mostly because I wasn't, uh, I, I mean, I grew up on first a Latino household in a religious household, like a Christian household. Mm-hmm. So um, therapy wasn't in our radar and not in our budget either. So uh, going into college and having to go through therapy, my therapy was more because I was homesick away from home through, throughout college. And that's when we dove into everything else, which damn, I totally needed that. But like, if you are 
someone that's feeling, I think the best way to describe our situation, Melanie, is like hopelessness. Yeah. There is no hope for me. I remember feeling that so many times, day by day, every day. Why am I even in school? Why am I doing this? And as Melanie, like you were mentioning, you hit that point. And I was like recalling as you were saying everything that I was like, yeah, what was I doing while Trump was getting elected or like, well, they were campaigning. I remember I had a a communications class and that's exactly what we did. We listened to podcasts. We listened to uh, everything. It was so close to the because we were listening and studying the rhetoric of of Trump versus Clinton. And I remember one of the, the classes, I was just so upset by something he said and triggered. I got up. And I told everyone, I am undocumented. He's talking about someone like me. And I totally forgot where I was, like, in the room and, like, with people that, like, never knew me. But I was just so, like, like I didn't even know what came over me. And then I realized, like, oh, shoot, did I just do this? <laughs> like, the teacher looked at me, like, shocked. Like, you know, like, that TikTok video, like, the woman was too shocked to speak. That was literally her. yes that was literally her and even myself I was like oh shoot what did I do but it was just so like it was pain anger and like this can't be like you guys all in the room know me and this is not what it is and so I don't know and it's crazy how like you and I can talk about the empowerment behind our mental health issues right because we took action on them and I can say I did too because I went through therapy I addressed so many things just like you I I embraced my I think the whole mental health journey is about embracing who you are because for the longest time I rejected it I was embarrassed I was like scared for my life like everything for me has been fight or flight Either Literally. you're going to like buckle down and do the work or you're going to suck it up and cry. And either, just like you said, some days I had so much energy. I was doing all these things. Come to my DACA renewals. I was like <laughs> crying every single day. Why me? And it's fine to feel pity for yourself. I think I think it's fine to get those moments of like, I pity myself sometimes. Why am I in this situation? There is a lot of resentment towards not even my parents but I think my situation in general like if I were in Mexico maybe I wouldn't be going through this or like why did we come here what's the whole purpose there is no like sense of like purpose or like this is ever gonna end so I think I can I can totally relate to everything that you were saying one of the things that happened to me while Trump was getting elected was I was working at the leadership center in college and the directors called me into the office And I'm like, he literally just like, look, I just want to give you the space to cry, to like get out everything that you feel. And I want you to know that I'm here for you. And just like you had that military guy tell you, like, it's all going to be okay to have my boss who knew me take that time to do that for me. I was like, oh my gosh, like, thank you. And at that point I was like, I was like, shoot, I got in trouble. I did something like, oh my gosh. And I show up to his office and he sits me down. He's like, I just want you to know that this is a safe space for you. And whatever I can do to help, we will. And it's just like, I, I wasn't even in my radar. And then I did break down like, oh my gosh, like, thank you. Because I had like internalized and like taken everything in without being able to like share it with anyone. And at that moment, I was like, wow, like there is really nice people in this world. And I think for everything that was released after Trump, it was a lot of hate towards now like which is what five years later 
we're still going through like the hate, the uprising, the anti-immigration sentiments, everything that you can think of that is against us, right? But it's crazy because like, as you were sharing, we're putting up a fight. Like we're just not letting them like beat us up. We're like fighting with every single like sense that we have in every way. And I think one of the biggest way is like education. If we can dive into like the education piece of this, like tell me how do you relate education into your mental health journey? Love that. Yes, yes, yes. And like, just to pause really quickly, uh, I totally forgot to mention, I went to a Trump rally in Chicago. Uh, I don't even know if it's worth like mentioning because there's that. Yes, tell me. But just like really quickly, because you were, well, even before that, I wanted to mention that um, when he did get elected, that my, um, that the student government advisor, Katie Marie, shout out, gave me a ring that said, um, you're safe or like be free or something like that. And I wore it to graduation because like she had a matching one, just kind of similar to like those people who like knew that this was a big deal and to provide that safe space really quickly. But the Trump rally thing, it was me, my older sister and my friend Nikki. And we all like the rebel in us were like, we're going to sign up and we're going to go. And this was the Trump rally where he didn't show up to. I don't know if that was on purpose, but man, did I like feel some sort of way being in line with just waiting to get into like the UIC pavilion um, being and then going inside and um, meeting up with like other random like UIC students who are protesting it. And just to like see it firsthand was so bananas, like so out of body uh, to just see other people just so angry and just like to support this type of like human being. And again, it was more so to like condition myself, like Melanie, not everyone in the world is going to like who you are or what you stand for. And you kind of need this, this type of exposure therapy, I would say to um, face your fears, Melanie, your fear and not feel as attacked and just, you know, um, yeah, just facing your fear. And so before, if someone were to even tell me anything remotely like offensive about my status, I would just break down. But now given everything that I kind of went through with that, with those things, uh, it really just like made me develop thick skin where I can really like, you know, I can, I can poke fun at myself for my status, like, cool, like, no problem. Or like, if someone were to say it to me offensively, like, like, cool, no problem. Like, I'll just like, I rebuke it, you know, like, (laughs) so uh, I just wanted to close it off there with the Trump rally, but it was so out of body to see that many people and to be in that space. And I felt like unsafe for sure, but I felt empowered being there with my older sibling and with my friend, Nikki. Uh, who are just so like badass. So I just wanted to share that uh, really quickly. But in terms of education overall and my mental health and status, um, you know, I, I, I always talk about like, yeah, like the dreamer narrative. I was a good student. I was involved in all the clubs. Um, a lot of times I didn't really talk about the sleepless nights. And, um, you know, I would like, just, you know, try to still have that college experience without being at a university or just 
uh, that constant fear of missing out the FOMO, right? Like my friends are going to four years, they're going, they're in sororities, they're graduating in four years. My, you know, all of these things just um, bottled up in that education journey, right? Um, the curriculum itself, I found a lot of empowerment with Latin American studies, with women's studies, um, not so much math, <laughs> but um, in terms of like mental health and school, I never felt like smart enough. I felt like I've been faking it this whole time since high school, you know, in ROTC, they taught us in, in drill, like in drill that if you don't know the move, pretend like if you're messing up, do it with confidence. So it looks like that was the move that you were supposed to do. You're freestyling. So I kind of like followed that principle throughout life. And with education, when it comes, like, I always felt just smart enough, if that makes sense. And I remember English 102, I failed that class. And my mental health suffered because I had, um, what's it called? That 10 page essay was just so daunting to me that I had, like, I broke down, like I had an anxiety attack. Like my mom saw it and she was like freaking out. She's like, what do I do? Like, just go to sleep. Cause you know, I wouldn't sleep for like nights. I would work like two, two, three jobs. I would go to college. I didn't feel smart enough as it was. And then here's this 10 page paper that I leave till the end. I mean, can anyone else really relate to that? I'm sure everyone else can relate to leaving everything to the last minute, whether it's an essay, a scholarship application, anything, just leaving it to the last minute and hoping that that adrenaline of the last minute will save you, uh, you save you. It will give you all your creative juices, your best work. Right. So I like, I didn't turn in the paper. I completely just blocked it out and I failed the class. And that's the first time I ever failed the class. And I'm like, Oh no, like, this is it. Like, I have the failure transcript, like my GPA went down. I felt horrible. And going through that experience, I learned a couple things. My teacher actually did reach out to me. He's like, Hey, I noticed you didn't turn this in. You, even if you were to turn in half of it, I'd be okay with that. Cause I had a good grade all the way up to that point. But because that 10 page paper was worth, I guess, half the grade or like a third of the grade, it, you know, if I didn't turn in anything, you just below a C or like a D or whatever. So my teacher did reach out and I just completely, at that point I was over it. I didn't even want to give the six pages that I had. I was just so like a perfectionist in that way where I can't give you half work. I can't give you like a rough draft. Like, no, like I rather fail than give you a rough draft, if that makes sense. And I learned then, and I'm still learning now, that if you need help, just ask for it. If I would have told my professor, hey, even if I would have replied to that email, like, hey, I don't know why, but for the life of me, I cannot mentally get past this paper. Um, you know, what can we do? Even if I would have done that. But at that point, there's just so much shame and so much like embarrassment I just and it's funny because like the following semester I would see that professor and just like try to ignore like I would cover my like oh no like it just felt like an awkward breakup (laughs) so you know um it took me taking that class again going through therapy and just like wow well why did I why couldn't I conquer this in the first asking myself those questions 
Why did I feel like it was such a big task? Why did I leave it to the last minute? Why didn't I ask for help? Why didn't I go to tutoring? And just kind of breaking it down in those with those questions and getting to the root of what causes me to do all that self-sabotage, I would call it, you know? Um, so I would say in, in terms of education, right? In terms, that's curriculum wise, but now we get to like scholarship wise, if we can transition into that, right? Um, so that's how we both know each other, right? The Dream.US scholarship. Yay! And when I graduated from Wright College year 2017, uh, everybody, it was like the promotion round, I guess. And everyone was emailing me like this flyer to the scholarship. And in terms of scholarships and mental health, I had applied to so many through community college in high school. At that point, I was so over scholarships. I was like desensitized to scholarships. I was like, you know, I, I, I feel like I always put myself out there with scholarships and I never get the yes. I, one time I didn't even get a no. I just, it, and I had like hounded them. I'm like, did you forget my, no, like you just didn't hear back. Didn't hear back. And I'm like, Same. Oh, maybe it's my Same. writing. Maybe it's this or that, but who knows? So when it came to Dream by US scholarship, it seemed too good to be true. First off, I'm like, you're how much? And for the, no, like that's impossible. You like, want my blood? Do you want like organs? those radio Disney contests where you can meet Zach and Cody and you know so um when it came to the essays you know talking about adversity talking about your goals it was so hard for me to write those essays because like in a a 750 words minimum like how can I explain life is my adversity and in terms of goals like I said I've never been like allotted the luxury of dreaming that far ahead so when you're asking me what my goals are I'm like I'm just trying to make it through tomorrow I'm just trying to make it through this year let alone five years from now 10 years from now and so um it's funny because I wasn't even going to submit my application similar to that English 102 class I had a draft I didn't think it was good enough I got in my head this, you know, the imposter syndrome, the there's someone out there doing more. There's someone out there more deserving. There's no, you're uh, not enough again because of who you are and what we've gone through. Your essays are not telling us what we need, what you need to tell us. Mm -hmm. And I tell the story even now for like promote promoting the scholarship that um, I wasn't going to submit it. And that day, um one of my other friends who applied to the same scholarship I told him like no you know what I'm not going to submit it and he's like we're going to Starbucks right now like he dragged me to a nearby Starbucks and he's just like just start writing and like if you want to look at mine look at mine or if you need help like by all means but you're gonna submit it and I'm so thankful for him for like kind of giving me that push that physical push to submit the essay because at 11 59 59 seconds I submitted it and when I submitted it at that point I decided like I didn't get it I already knew like I felt it I'm like I didn't get it but at least I can say I like I gave myself a chance I threw my head in the ring you know and um you know whatever happens happens and I think I had applied to that one and like seven other ones and wow you know, April comes with all the notifications and I got six or the seven that I applied, 
knows. So the last one was the dream.us. And I'm like, and I was telling my, my supervisor at the time, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. If I don't get the dream, then this is it. Like, I'm only going to get my associates, which is fine. But like, there's no more, co- there's no way I was able to afford out of pocket, like $8,000 or $9,000 to attend a university here in Chicago per semester. And so um, between getting the nose and the dream.us, it was like two days and I was depressed. I was literally in my room. All the curtains were shut, like in the dark, under the covers for what felt like two to three days. And like my parents were like, or my mom was like, very like, you good? Like, are are you breathing? <laughs> Put a mirror down under you. <laughs> and it was a really bad time. Like I, it, that's the way I could describe it. I was in my bed for three days because I'm getting all these no's. I, at, at that point in my life, I had done everything that I was supposed to do. I was the model citizen per se. I was involved. I channeled my energy. I'm getting over my demons and still nothing, right? So comes the day of the dream.us. It was like April. I was actually babysitting at the time. And um, the parents of the kids who I babysit. So the mom is my supervisor at Senator Durbin's office. So after I had finished that internship, like we stayed in contact and I like babysat for her kids. So she is his chief of staff and I like babysat for a couple years afterwards. So I was there at, at their house. Um, it was late and I'm, again, I'm seeing all these notifications. I'm checking my spam, nothing. I'm just oh, like, no. oh my gosh. Like, the anxiety. Here we go again. Like I'm just thinking the worst. And um, no, just kidding. I didn't check my spam. I was checking my folders and it was my friend, the one who pushed me to the Starbucks who said, um, check your spam folder. There we go. So I checked my spam folder. And at that point, the parents already came um, to, uh, to back home. And I was just kind of explaining how I was waiting and they knew too, like they were just, just as in it as I was. And so then my friend texts me and it's like, Oh, check your spam folder. I'm like, okay. I checked my spam folder and bam, there it is. The glorious, like you've been selected words and the hallelujah chorus. And I'm screaming at this point and they're screaming, you know, cause they were there when I opened it and it was just so overwhelming I didn't even read the rest of the email I just saw the words whoo you've been selected and I I love that moment because those parents are so special to me in my journey as well professionally and just in general because I interned for her so her name's Claudia Soul I interned for her at Senator Durbin's office when I was a community college student and then I actually ended up working for the dad for Omar he gave me my first job out of college uh, at high tech global and so like that family is so special to me because they were there for that moment that I got that life-changing moment. And um, Omar actually had a North, I, I attended Northeastern Illinois University. So he had a hat. He's like, here, I want you to have this hat. So like, you know, what, however you choose to tell your parents, like you have like something to present to them. Cause it was like, I just had an email, right? Aww. So like, I, and it's funny cause that night. So I drive, it's like 11, 12 o'clock, one in the morning at this point, I'm home. I'm just, I didn't tell anybody yet. I was just, I wanted that news just for me, just to bathe in it, to soak in it for one night, just me. Cause my parents and everyone had been asking me, did you hear back? 
did you hear back? Did you hear back? So um, another friend who applied told me they weren't going to accept, like they, they got it selected, but they weren't going to accept it. And I call him and I'm like, are you freaking kidding? Like, I'm swearing at him at that. I'm like, are you like, are you kidding me? Like, well, I wanted to go here, but they didn't select me. Like I wanted to go to UIC, but they already like are filled. And I'm like, okay, go to Northeastern with me, like business, this and this and that. And he's like, okay, I guess. Like, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I chose Northeastern personally because the tuition covered all, like the scholarship covered all the tuition there. So I'm like, I don't have to look for any other scholarships. Like I'm the one and done. I'm good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just like how my friend pushed me to that Starbucks, I pushed that other friend to accept the award. Uh, and uh, we all graduated at the same time and it was great. But um, I, 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 back to like the accepting it, there was so much relief, you know, being in the same bed where just 24 hours before I was feeling hopelessness. I was feeling, I was feeling like there was no reason for me to even be here as morbid as that sounds Mm -hmm. and not 24 hours later bam a whole new outlook on life a whole new like optimism and hope and light and I knew like as big as this was like that it was only the beginning and so the first person I told my family because they all were told different ways And so I first told my older sister because she literally is like my second mom. She's like the, you've seen Encanto with like, oh yeah. She like has helped me throughout my whole journey and just has been so supportive. So I remember we were on like, we were in Portage Park at like a diner um, on like Montrose and Central. And I forgot what we were doing. It was like a Saturday. And, um, I had printed out the, the acceptance. I had the like Northeastern folder and like, I had the, like the hat. And so it was my sister and my mom together. And so, you know, we're having a casual conversation we ordered. And then she asked me like, Oh, you know, have you heard back? And I'm like, I don't know. And I wish I would have recorded it, record your announcements, people like to, when you tell something important, but I'm like, I don't know, did I, and then I kind of pull out the hat. And my mom didn't really get it, but my sister did. So my sister, who I've like never seen cry or like get emotional, was just like jumping for joy and like tears in her eyes. And she was just so happy. And my mom was like, so cute because she had like a delayed response. She's like, what's going on? I don't know. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> Explain to like, me. Yeah. So in Spanish, we're like, oh, she got like, la beca. and my mom's like, oh oh my gosh and then you know like she's just as happy and it's so funny because I'm sure like from the outsider like probably everybody in that restaurant was like what the hell who are these craziest people like (laughs) oh we were so happy and my mom and my sister they were just like all like filled with joy and so like it doesn't just it didn't just feel like my scholarship or my even my degree it doesn't feel like my it's our degree granted it has my name but like they all supported me in that effort. Right. And so the next person I told was my older brother and he, we went to his house and he has a, he had a, he has a wife and like kids. So my brother was more chill. He was like, Oh, cool. Congrats. Like, I'm proud of you kid. Like, cool. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) right. Like, awesome. Like, so 
at this point, like all my siblings know, except for my dad, my dad was the last one. And I, I wanted to be like dramatic for the way I told my dad, kind of like how you announce a pregnancy, if that makes sense. It was as big. Yeah, it was big. So I, I go to the store, I buy this box. Um, and I'm like, all right, how am I going to do this? I'm going to get a box, I'm gonna put the folder, put the hat, put a cute little like tchotchke graduation figurine thing in there. Um, and then like a balloon with like the color, Northeastern colors. So I actually have that video and I'll share it with you. It's so funny, but my, my dad came home from work and my parents are like, I'm sure everyone could say that, but they're so hardworking, so hardworking. Like they have never, they never really have gone on a vacation. Like they work every day tirelessly for their family. And so for my dad, he came home from work. It must've been like 11 o'clock at night, 12. He has his little valet uniform shirt on and we're all there like in an intervention style. So he was very nervous. And um, I try to make it appear as if, you know, it had nothing to do with me. So we sit him down at the table. And in addition to the box, I, I made a check, like a big check. Oh my cover. gosh. Like I had like, I just with marker and I cut it out like rectangle and just put my name the amount of the scholarship and stuff like that so I, I so it's time to tell him he's very nervous he's like what's going on and we there's this box in the middle and all these kids are like sat around it uh, around the box so we're recording him and he's like okay I guess I'll open it like what could it be is it like a lotto ticket like is someone pregnant is you know like all of this we're like just open the box so he tries to shimmy it and uh we're like no don't shake it because it's, it's organized yeah so we're like, all right. And he just looks at my brother. He's like, que será? Like, que puede ser? And my brother's like, I don't know, open it. So he opens it. And it's so funny because like the balloon comes flying out. And like, Whoa. He's like, okay, what is it? Like, it's just like a balloon. Like how random. So he goes into the box and similar to my mom, delayed reaction, very cute. He, pull, he takes out the hat. He's like, oh, nice, a hat puts it on he's like because uh, it was blue and his shirt was blue he's like oh it matches with my uniform and I'm like oh. <laughs> keep, keep looking inside so yeah he looks at the little chachi with the graduation cap that says like class of 2017 or 2019 and he's like it's so funny because in the video he's like he said all of my sister's names before he got to my name I don't know if you can relate to that where they yes. literally they every name but your name he's like but graduation like la chilita melita like whatever like that isn't until and then like you can see it when it clicks and then he's like oh like melita is what they call me like melita and then i'm like i don't know maybe and then i pull out the check and he's like yeah like it was so cute and we're just and crying and just like he's like how do i cash this check and that was but it was so sweet just again that whole relief family relief I would say of just yeah supporting like this effort and then for for it to you know come true in the form of the scholarship in the form of the dream.us was so just beautiful in all sense of the word so um I love telling that story I don't really tell that story I always kind of skip it because um it's always about like, yeah, I got the scholarship. It was life-changing and now here I am. But that's just something I really wanted to break down because um, it was such a 
core memory it's a core memory yeah. for sure it's a very and personal like, moment i'm gonna show you i'm gonna send you the video because please do i would love to share beautiful. it yeah i can only imagine like the feeling behind it even as you are trying to tell people and like have them be as excited as you and i don't think anybody else will ever be as excited as you even though we all share that emotion of like we did it right even with your parents but like you did it like i did it like wow like and just how you describe it before somebody like the military guy telling you you're gonna be okay somebody like my teacher telling me sandra you're gonna make it that was that realization of like i like i did it like it happened and like was you were talking and how the topic of this is mental health you hit on the point of like previously to getting your scholarship you were in the dark right you were like feeling down depressed sad hopeless and then the next day boom like it's like reawakening like I rebirth and Uh like the thing about being undocumented is just that I don't think that nobody will ever understand that more than we do because it's an up and down feeling whether you're on DACA whether you're on like a temporary like status whether you're like I don't know for whatever reason some people don't even have a status and it's just that single-handed moment every single time of being up and then being down being up so mental health definitely plays in our life every single day exactly exactly and it's it's just so crazy how it could go from one thing to another that fast right and my friend um my friend who I mentioned from high school um Edwin shout out um he said he, he said that early on in high school too just like like it's like a roller coaster and that's the perfect way to describe the feelings the mental health as an undocumented individual as a Latina as a woman it's just in general right just trying to make it through the day um and that's just kind of into the lens of at least you know, the mental health behind uh, an undocumented individual such as myself, but I'm sure there's many other stories like mine and that are very similar, right? Or, or very different. Who knows? Um, this is just mine. And, and so uh, I feel really uh, relieved or just excited to share this because again, I, I hope it, it, it helps normalize that. And whether you're an undocumented individual or not, mental health is so important. And, um, you know, those who are allies or those who are in mixed status families, it's a lot. And so uh, always just advocating to reach out for help in any way or just um, find your own ways, right? And so if we can transition very like briefly into the post-college, right? Yeah. Like I graduated, now I'm like a, like an adult trying to, again, like I said, I have never dreamed past college. Even then, like, I'm just like, what now? Like jobs? What do I was just, (laughs) who's going to hire me? (laughs) Where can I get a job? Literally. And mind you, I've worked a lot of jobs during college. I had at my last semester in college, I had three jobs. I Me worked, too. And, and with having the scholarship. Like, Me too. Straight A's. I'm you proud of that. Be, as you should, you know, and it's, I, that's something too, is just the fact that we got this scholarship that was still so big and grand. And the fact that we still needed to work still like 
it baffles me, right? I've, I worked so much, you know, to help my family, to help myself, um, even with a full ride scholarship, you know, it's like, it's not all, it wasn't all easy, you know? And so uh, when it came to graduating, I was very nervous about like finding a career, I would say, because I, I never had a trouble finding a job. I always had too many jobs. And um, the career is what scared me because, um, again, that undocumented status, the whole, what should I even major in? The whole, Mm -hmm. uh, if you do this, you can't because you need a license. And it all depends on where you're at. But I found a lot of no's and a lot of no's. And so as a safety, I chose business as my major because I'm just like, oh, well, you can apply it anywhere. And this is administration. You learn a little bit of every discipline, accounting, marketing. So I'm not committing to one full discipline. It was like just my safety. And so I ended up loving the curriculum in general, but it's funny because I, my degree is in business, but I, all of the work that I've done post-college is nonprofit. So just to say, if you get a degree, it doesn't necessarily you can do anything. Exactly. And so I felt, uh, again, that imposter syndrome that, um, oh, no, I've been faking it this whole time, you know, air quote, faking it. But I know that's been me. And like, now it's time to find a job. And thankfully, um, uh, right after graduation, uh, that parent that I talked about who was there when I received the news, Omar, he emailed me. He's like, hey, we're proud of you. Congrats. Let's talk like a job opportunity. I'm like, (laughs) great because you know I I had no help me out (laughs) I had no prospects I didn't even know where to start I was just happy to be done with school and sleep more than you know more than four hours so um he's like this is you know just temporary this is uh to help cover for someone who's going on maternity leave and I actually ended up staying there for after the person came back um so I'm like a I want to say I was very lucky, lucky and not lucky. Yes and no. <laughs> I, you know, I gave myself that opportunity. It wasn't luck. I worked, you worked yeah. my ass off for that connection for, you know, in my internships during college. So like I was well-deserving of the job. It, I felt, you know, I felt guilty that I got it so fast because I saw my friends, uh, my boyfriend even, who were like struggle to find a job after college. Like I understand it's really hard and it could take time. It could take a month, three months, six months, a year even. Mm-hmm. So I felt guilt, you know, granted uh, after all this stuff that I've done, seeing the fact that others were like struggling and I just had it somewhat easy again, quote unquote, mm-hmm. finding a job after college. I'm just like, I felt guilty. Cause I'm just like, like, I w- I'm at the dream job, you know, dream.us, you know, it just pun intended because going into high school, even going into college, I always said I wanted to have a job like my scholar advisor or like the dream.us. And so to be here now, come full circle, um, it's just an amazing feeling, right? I'm now helping other undocumented individual scholars um, with the same thing that I once went through not that long ago. And so it's with my professional life at the dream.us or even at high tech global, I learned boundaries, right? Boundaries. I'm a yes person because of that um, whole, 
um, undocumented status, like overcompensating this and feeling the need mm-hmm. to prove myself. Yes. So and please in- others all the time. Exactly. And so in terms of um, setting those healthy boundaries of saying no, the fact that I'm still learning that till this day, saying no, mm-hmm. or like, hey, I can't quite, that's not within my bandwidth. And it being okay is crazy. Like I, I'm glad I'm practicing it now, but it's something that I'm still learning till this day. So everything I'm learning, every day I'm learning something new. And that's something that I'm recently learning. And this would be like the positive part of my mental health, right? Like every day I wake up and I love doing what I do. And again, it feels like a fever dream. Like I'm going to wake up any, any moment and just realize that I'm in the matrix or something, you know, and just, but I'm here and I deserve to be here and I deserve to take up space and to be heard and whether at my job or in my personal life or anywhere. Right. I think that's something that I've, that took me a long time to realize is that everything that you do, like don't take yourself out of the game because you never know, you know, just put yourself out there is where I'm going at. And, you know, um, life is life. And even though I'm in a good place, mental health wise, some days I still feel kind of crappy. And considering that we're in a pandemic that, you know, I still have a lot of other issues that we didn't even touch on, but, um, I take on every day in hopes that it'll be a good day. And if there's any way, if there's any advice I could probably provide overall when it regarding mental health in terms of like, obviously utilizing, any resource that you have that's available to you. So to me, the yeah. life change was a community college therapy. And then after I was done with that, you know, I, even watching YouTube videos was very helpful to me. Like the motivational ones, journaling uh, has been something very consistent throughout my life. I just started doing it like, this year after like so many years, um, going to the gym, exercising, that's pretty much what I did to all of 2021. Obviously I did it very safely and I felt physically strong and it um internalized mentally if that makes sense like I felt good on the outside and I felt good on the inside and then lastly just having these conversations like I said it's been my goal with my family to break that generational stereotype of mental health so it's like hmm, my my dad goes to therapy now and so does like my siblings so it's just oh, like wow oh, look at that oh, it's crazy now you know just kind of joking <laughs> I love it because it's just so full circle again, like seeing that or, you know, seeing um, uh, a lot of like my family or friends uh, just acknowledge those different things. And not even that, just the evolution of the mental health cycle that I've seen around my life uh, has been wonderful uh, to see. And so, yeah, I'll leave it at that. And, and, you know, I'm happy where I'm at and, and very, I feel very blessed to be at the dream.us working where I am now um and just you know being here with you today and sharing my story thank thank you you. and thank you so much for being so open I think um as I said in the intro this show is about being open and honest about our own journey and hopes that one day somebody listening and if you're out there you know following through this story through Melanie's experiences if you relate you kind of feel like not too alone because these themes these topics are just like a glimpse of like everything we all have in common regardless of your status regardless of like where you live who you are we all share those like emotions those feelings 
that fight or flight, that mental health aspect embraces all of us, right? And kind of knowing how to like handle some things over others, how other people have been able to overcome certain things uh, for our situation being undocumented. Mental health plays a huge, huge issue that a lot of us don't even get to like give attention to it until like way, way, way later in life. Like Mm -hmm. even right now, like as I'm talking through my marriage, through like having a pet, like all of those things really are key difference in how like you carry yourself through healing, through Mm -hmm. like getting yourself better um, and kind of like facing head on, as you said, Melanie, like literally everything that you go through um, from your past. Like we, we talked about like early childhood. We talked about like your uh, relationships. We talked about your education and professional goals and how like mental health played a role in all of that throughout your life. And up until this point where it doesn't stop, like mental health is a reoccurring thing that not everyone talks about because it's sometimes we're embarrassed or like we are scared to admit that we go through things like this, right? Like I shut down like I can't get out of bed sometimes like even though I have a good day yesterday and I'm gonna have a good day tomorrow today I'm just in a funk and it's okay to admit to be open to share um and I think in the midst of everything that we are within our own immigration status all the uncertainty it's expected that we are gonna have anxiety issues it's I mean more than a pathway to citizenship pay me a whole life of therapy. I'm gonna, you know, when you sue people for like, uh, or like even when you sue in general, like there's like, what is it called? What is that thing? Damages. Damages, like, like, yeah. Like I'm gonna need like damages paid to me for like the trauma I've endured from just being undocumented, right? And being like going through this cycle of like DACA and the DACA journey. I can speak to it from like the DACA series. Being on DACA has its own perks, but also the the own like anxieties and like only things that only DACA recipients go through, unlike other people with other statuses or even that are fully documented that don't have to go through our struggles. But like as a DACA recipient, bringing it back before letting you go, I do want to like honor our experience, our like time from like being undocumented children to like having this paperwork as we described it having this like coupon that gives us admission to like an an actual potential life right so like as a DACA recipient as a dreamer what have you gained what has been your biggest gain from DACA oh my biggest gain um just I would say working legally and in the not being deported the feeling of not being deported uh, that's a big relief you know um outside of that feeling it's definitely the working um legally I I think without DACA I wouldn't have been able to uh work even at, at my college I wouldn't have been able to do some internships I wouldn't have been able to get the jobs that I have now granted I'm sure I would have found a way whether it's through con- contracting but um that's something that we're seeing now more than ever, uh, even at the dream.us, right? We're seeing, uh, so our last year's news cohort of new scholars, more than 75% or 75% or so of our scholars do not have DACA or TPS. So we're reverting back to the non-DACA days where how do we find these career opportunities for people without DACA and TPS? And I, I speak to this as a person of privilege to a certain extent because of the, the fact that I am able to have DACA, if 
fact that I have been able to renew it, I think I have like six, six times that I've renewed it now. And it's something that I definitely acknowledge, right? And similar to how earlier I was saying, when I tell somebody my struggle, who isn't necessarily in that position, but hoping that they um, take what they do have for granted, very similar to me, right? Where I know there's many people who aren't, who don't have DACA or TPS, and I'm coming from a place of privilege and hoping that I could use that privilege to help spread awareness or to help with more opportunities for those who can't. So to me, it's like, what does Spider-Man say? Like with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) So I'm so honored to have DACA and I'll never take it for granted. I call it my subscription to the United States uh, every (laughs) two years. And we need permanent solutions. Like DACA was, like I said, a band-aid or something short term. And the fact that it's still in limbo, that new new applicants, it, it breaks my heart when new when those who were eligible and were applying for the first time couldn't. It brings me back to when I felt like hopelessness, right? And so I'm I'm sure with this DACA series, with the work you're doing, Sandra, you're spreading awareness. And you know, for those who are in it. To keep going and you know be less right like it's, it's going to be a better day tomorrow and for those who necessarily want to understand it better to just be an ally and be supportive by just understanding it yourself you know I think is the biggest thing so DACA has meant the world to me and there's more work to be done and um yeah, I guess I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. It's a work in progress, just like our mental health, just like everything related to what we're doing in life currently as adults. Um, it's a never ending struggle, you know, battling our immigration status and the fact that we have no control over it. So with that, I mean, I hope that, you know, it gets better. 2022. Yay. We're in a new year, Ooh, new possibilities. Benefit. Huh? I, I think oh, that off. Sorry, I was just saying manifesting 2020. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of things that can come out of this year and like seeing hopeful, I think that does help our mental health, at least for me. Sometimes, you know, shutting down uh, news, shutting down social media. I think the last part of December and like even November, I completely shut off once I knew that there was no pathway to citizenship and that's all there was in the news for like the longest time, whether it was or whether it was not, I was like, I give up. I'm not caring for this anymore. And it's like, cause that's how I handle my pain. Right. I just don't want to like be bothered with it, but it's still there. And no, you know what? We're back. It's a new year. There's new goals. And we are going to have to keep doing the work that we're doing, Melanie, sharing our stories, telling people what DACA is, what dreamers are, what we stand for, what we stand to lose if nothing comes through this year. And uh, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. So I do thank you so much for being part of this DACA series episode. I hope that when we look back, uh, you know, we kind of treasure everything that was said today and kind of like take it as like, This is our contribution to our people, to our community, and to everyone listening that is, you know, part of this series that stays in touch. Uh, Please let us know if you guys felt related, if you guys felt like empowered, if you guys want to do more. Uh, I'm pretty sure we can all get involved somewhere, somehow, depending on where you are in your states, just like Melanie found a way to get involved and like heal her mental health. 
you know, issues through empowering situations. Um, I do encourage you guys to find ways. I think um, United We Dream is a good organization to get started with. Um, if you just want to hit either Melanie up or myself up to get more information, get involved, even just have a conversation, Melanie, like you said, just having these topics and conversations is an opportunity to kind of heal through our pain um, and just kind of share with other ones and like laugh and cry together. So I know this podcast has done that for me. And I do thank you for listening because you have commented, you have like mentioned, and you had been such a supporter through this whole podcast. And I do thank you for that. I also thank everybody else listening. Thank you for all of your love and support. We wouldn't be here without you today. So thank you. And there's so much more to come. So stay tuned to the next episode. Tag us on social media if you share this episode. Let us know how you feel. Uh, Thank you, Melanie, for coming on. Thank you for spending time with me today. Any concluding words to leave and to take off for today? I really quickly wanted to dedicate this episode to just all of those who supported me in my journey. So my family, of course, my friends, they know who they are. Um, and all my mentors and just great people have supported me. Uh, I really want to give shout outs because I gave a lot of shout out. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't mention this person. How do so shout out obviously to like Katie Marie, uh, to Iris Milan, my, I want to say like one of my biggest supporters. And without her, I probably wouldn't be at the dream. Wouldn't have internet Senator Durbin or Chicago votes. Like I hold her near and dear to my heart. So Iris Milan is like dedicate this a lot to her, to uh, Lieutenant Commander Paul Muffler, may he rest in peace. Um, everybody, you know, that that I've encountered in general, who's just been supportive and nice uh, throughout this process and this journey and all my supervisors and the friend who dragged me to Starbucks and the friend who I called threatened uh, to accept the award and um, and the dream.us obviously for uh, just changing my life overall so dedicating this to them who I in whoever who I didn't mention just know that you know you're still in my heart and I thank you all for just all the support that you've given me so thank you thank you so much Sandra yay thank you thank you and uh with that have a great night everyone enjoy your weekend stay safe and see you guys on the next episode bye